Logan Walker is a junior manager at the Ani Group. In this episode, we discuss the importance of mentors within Rho Epsilon, as well as the Eisenberg Foundation. We also dive into the development side of real estate and talk about the Seattle market where he currently works. He also updates us on the market of development and what asset classes are being built. Thank you for driving down the road to real estate and enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, Logan? Thanks for joining the podcast. How's your day been? Not too bad. Thanks for having me, Alex. Cool. So I want to start off by uh, asking, what was your first interest in real estate? If it was in college, prior to college? Yeah, just talk about that. Yeah, yeah that's, a good, that's a good question. Um, whenever, whenever I was looking at kind of career paths and um, direction and uh, what, what avenue for college, um, I had I'd always kind of had an interest in, in building things. And um, when I was little, I would take Lincoln logs and like build things, everything. Um, out of cardboard boxes, I'd take it and uh, break them apart. I had a whole basement just full of stuff. Um, I loved doing that. And when I got in high school, I started taking um, some more construction type of classes and uh, really enjoyed it and was looking at how can I, can I do this long term? And I, I, I guess I started looking at architecture as a path to get there. Um, didn't really think of real estate as an option. Um, I think as most people do, they think of like a, a, an agent um, or a broker and for houses. So I didn't really think of uh, kind of larger scale projects, especially what I'm doing now, which, which we'll get to. But um, I, I saw architecture as a path. I kind of considered urban planning a little bit, um, but always had like a business uh, acumen and um, grew up around a lot of uh, family members that own their own business. So um, that was, was something kind of instilled in me and actually ended up uh, working at a bank um, for the first couple of years uh, throughout summers uh, during, during undergrad. So that uh, I always kind of saw what people were doing with their money um, and always tried to take business courses along alongside some of my architecture courses and um, decided my, my sophomore year to actually pursue an MBA. I uh, was going to be in a path and um, really wasn't uh, as much architecture, but enjoyed the process of building things. So um, kind of fast forward, um, going into grad school, I was kind of weighing out, uh, I really, I didn't see myself doing architecture, like an architecture um being an architect, I didn't want to, I didn't really see myself in that, that position um, and started to explore a little bit more real estate, got involved with um, some clubs on campus and discovered Royal Epsilon through, um, it would have been uh, Jenna Gobig, which was a past, I think a past president um, and Royal Epsilon president. And she, um, we were doing a firm tour um, in Chicago and she recommended I get involved with, with, so that kind of spearheaded or kind of started that path and competed in a case competition uh, with a few other past presidents um, at Cornet Global, which was in uh, Philadelphia. Um, we ended up winning, I think, $10,000. And um, it was a great exposure to kind of jump in, a little bit more real estate focused. And that really helped me solidify uh, going down an MBA path and um, at the time, I ended up doing a joint degree with, well, I started, I applied for the program, a joint degree with uh, MARC and an MBA. Um, had a full full scholarship for the MBA side, um, or the MARC side. And after the first year of MBA, I loved all the classes. I ended up getting an internship with related companies. So I was doing a lot of the development work. Um, really amazing projects in Chicago, like the, the, the most exciting projects I think you could, you could uh, imagine. Um, a lot of high rise, a lot of multifamily. Um, and I didn't really see how additional architecture background was going to help and ended up proposing to do um, our, our MS red kind of outline um, within the MS uh, arc and 
um, doing in two years. So it ended up being pretty intense, uh, 20 credit hours each semester, 22 the last and competing in case competitions and it was intense. But um, yeah, so that was kind of my path into real estate uh, throughout that was also an Eisenberg scholar um, and a scholar through a lot of different programs as well. So gave me a lot of exposure, shadowing people, kind of seeing what path I wanted to take. Well, so can you dive a little bit more into your uh, college internships and what you learned, what you loved and what you didn't love about them? Yeah, yeah. So I think my first internship, so, so this is maybe some advice to students. Um, again, I'm going to go, I'm going to hit from architecture and kind of how I progressed into real estate. And my first, because I, as I noted, I worked at a bank for the first couple of years, um, got really good at counting money. Um, and uh, it wasn't so much processing loans, but um, just exposure was great and just working with people in a professional setting. Um, and so my first actual kind of real estate related internship was actually with an architecture firm. And I literally took a phone book and just started calling the company that I could find in my local. I was, I grew up um, near Springfield. So, so downstate um, ended up calling up different firms and uh, seeing if they needed someone for the summer. And like, I really didn't care if it was paid or not. I, I preferred that it was paid, but didn't really have a lot of expenses. Um, I live at home and just drive there. Um, and I actually worked at a company for two weeks and I talked with them and another company. And it was just this, this company that I, I started with for two weeks. Um, the guy, uh, was just myself and him, and he was, I was just across the table from him and, um, it was, it was kind of a weird setup, but I was like, you know, this is, this is an opportunity. I, I want to get an experience. And two weeks later, someone, the other firm called me and said, yeah, we could take you on. We have like five or six people, you'll be doing a lot of, um, I think at the time it was going to be a lot of commercial, like banks and things like that. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to do that. And given the contract or whatever I set up for the first guy, wasn't really secure. I ended up jumping over. So it was kind of my first experience with kind of leaving a company. Um, so that was my first internship, technically. Actually ended up doing the plans for the, the something near the Champagne Mall, which was kind of cool throughout. Um, that actually got built. Um, and I did all the planning for it, or I guess a lot of the planning for it um, whenever I, uh, I guess throughout the rest of undergrad uh, and then into grad school. But um, second, second internship ended up being with PMA um, in Chicago. So it was owner's rep. Um, and we were, I'd look again, funny enough, a lot of schools. Um, and we were, we were going out and looking at a lot of the construction work. And so I was a lot of hard hats, uh, a lot of tours, looking at the budget, Etc. Um, and I, I was shadowing a lot of people, uh, meeting people for lunch. I highly recommend that. Um, even during my, my related internship, I set up a lunch with people or coffee with people almost every day and um, was able to just get their insights, kind of see their path to, to where they were or where they are now and just build a network. Um, and often they paid for the lunch if you're a student. So again, highly recommend it. Um, it was great. Um, but it allowed me to kind of see a different direction. And one of the mentors that is still a mentor to me today, um, Alan Love, he is on the board for the College of Business, um, and really fantastic guy, does a lot of multifamily condo development, um, really high end products. And I, I loved it. Uh, he actually helped and that was during the PMA internship. Um, and I was talking about, I got a chance to go walk related Hudson Yards project and it's um, massive. It's the largest privately owned development in the country to date uh, in New York. And I was all over it. He, um, he mentioned like, that sounds a lot like my friend, Don Bernanke. And he's like, I, I'll connect you with him. He happened to work at related Midwest, which I didn't realize the connection. Um, and the same ended up being um, my commencement speaker for U of I was Ann Thompson was also worked there. So I ended up uh, having like informational interviews with them uh, throughout the fall of grad school, the first year. And that along with just a few other mentors um, really helped me land the job with them. Um, and uh, again, amazing experience. They have a really good internship program. So I think students who give the opportunity definitely take advantage of it, try to apply. I'm happy to try to connect if I can. Um, and that experience was amazing. Uh, got a lot more exposure to, finance and um, legal, a little bit more acquisition. I was able to help with a pretty big deal in the West Loop. 
um, which changed some of the, the development for, um, for a 600 foot tall building. Um, so I found that to be pretty exciting. Um, a little bit more at the forefront versus the back end or, or like more in construction. It was a lot more um, building the investment, the, the business plan. So um, yeah, there was a little bit of background on, on kind of different programs and experience. Cool. So uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Raw Epsilon, uh, the real estate club at U of I. We did have previous president Ben Goldman on, who you're pretty familiar with. Uh, so just talk about that because I remember when I was coming to college as a freshman, you were the president and I was just a little shy freshman. So I, I didn't really get to meet too many people. But uh, yeah, talk a little bit about a little bit more about that experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you if you go to U of I, um, I definitely need to be involved with with ropes on. Um, hopefully, you get to interact with Professor Kennedy a little bit. But um, it's uh, as I mentioned, part of that. Fir- it's all kind of interconnected in some way. Um, part of that firm crawl that, that I did, I think my junior year, ended up meeting people at PMA, which recommended Jenna Go Big, which is a past president. Uh, recommended I get involved, which spurred the case competition, which spurred, again, me working at PMA for an internship, um, and then kind of led into uh, Eisenberg Foundation, uh, as well as my involvement with Robson. And um, I guess my my related internship that summer, as I mentioned, I met with a lot of people. Um, I, I think I was the only president to uh, plan the speakers throughout the whole year. So I had the list done throughout the summer. I knew my, my schedule was going to be pretty packed. So I met with people, had lunch, and then secured them coming down to the university um, for each each Tuesday, which, again, is an amazing way to just build a network and get to know people. Um, can be a lot. Like, I, I remember in the sp- spring, my Tuesdays were um, a class at, I think, uh, 9:30, and I didn't, and I maybe had 10 minute breaks all the way through. We'd have dinner. We'd have a ropes on meeting at five and we'd end up having dinner after. And I think I ended the day at sometimes eight, eight thirty. So literally just back to back meetings running around campus from law school to engineering campus to Biff all over the place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an incredible way to get to know people and really kind of help you find your path into real estate. So, um, and it's still, and one thing to note with your network, um, and this was, I think first mentioned to me by, um, one of the VPs that related, um, was don't, don't just, um, you can build a network, but also reach out to people, ask them if you can help with something, even if you're a student, um, just staying in touch, keeping that network close is, is very important. Um, obviously as you grow the network, it's going to be hard to do that, but, um, Peter Borzak teaches, uh, did teach the development case, and I was shadowing people. And I ran into him during lunch, and then we were trying to build a case competition, so we were watching the development class through part of this, and he got to see me multiple times, and then he finally followed up. was like, let's have lunch. Like, he, he asked me to have lunch because I just kept on seeing him everywhere, and he was like, what, who is this person? Um, and then we ended up, like, uh, again, staying really close. I, I literally will text him all the time now. He's a, he's a great mentor, um, but someone that uh, I've kind of built a relationship with and um, has been fantastic. Same with Al Clermont. I know he um, he was on for the first session, um, has a, an incredible amount of, of wisdom. Um, I met with him when I was in Chicago in October, and um, he uh, he's a really great guy, really great mentor, and set up all the mentor days that I did with the Eisenberg Foundation, I think I did maybe 11 different different shadow days. So again, packed schedule Monday through Thursday, uh, working, et cetera. And then Fridays, I would drive up to Chicago, get up pretty early and not get back until 8 p.m. Um, so just packed. But um, again, you get out of it what you put in, uh, especially as a student. So I would recommend can you uh, talk a little bit more about the Eisenberg Foundation and your involvement? Because that is a very good way to network for uh, young real estate professionals. So if you talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm currently on the associate board. I guess it's now going to be three years on the board um, after after graduation. Um, but uh, previously, I, I guess my first involvement with the foundation was just shadowing people. 
uh, through those lunches and then, um, and then spending the day with them. And from that, uh, got involved with, I think honestly is Nick Bartholomew, which hopefully you definitely should interview. Um, he was a president, two presidents before me, um, and, uh, was pretty involved with the foundation. And I, I started to uh, participate in their, their summer events as an intern and, uh, just kind of trickled in and, um, they have their scholarship program. So as I was doing mentor days, I applied for the scholarship program, um, and was selected and it's, uh, at a mentor, I'm paired with a mentor, uh, which again, I'm really close with met in Chicago, uh, about a month ago, Bill Barry, which, um, is pretty involved with the campus, incredible guy. Um, and I would meet with him like monthly and get to just, he, he helped introduce me to people. Um, we got to be a part of recon. So ICSD, they have their, their typically without, without COVID, um, there may, I think it's the largest gathering of real estate professionals in the world, uh, conference, but it's held in Vegas in in the spring. So I was one of six scholars throughout the, um, I guess the nation, um, primarily the, the Midwest, um, they got to go. Um, and so this whole, the whole year kind of led up to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's an incredible way just to get to know people and get exposed to real estate as well as I competed in the case competition. Um, and our team won that as well. So go, go, uh, Illinois. Um, but we, uh, yeah, just got involved. So I think if anything, uh, there's not really a right way to, to do it. And I think, you have to be motivated to do it. Um, but if you are, or you want to get into real estate, um, it's, it's not that I would say the program, there's so many things you can do to help you get started. And, um, to kind of dive in a little bit more about the foundation, um, it was started Harold Eisenberg, um, passed away from cancer pretty quickly. I think, uh, Al mentioned this before, uh, but, um, he was always a big proponent of helping people get started in, in real estate and kind of mentoring them. And, um, that's what it, that's very much what it is. And, um, there's so many things that students, uh, you can't, if you try to put a value on it, uh, it would be, um, it's, it's like a second degree, just the amount of things that you can do and, and get exposed to. So take advantage of it. Um, there, there's going to be a real bright summit in January, end of January, early February, this next year. Um, get involved. There's tons of speakers, highly recommended. I'm helping with some of it and help build out the panels. Um, I think there's going to be in-person and virtual this year, um, but there's a lot of great things you can, you can do with the foundation. So post-college, you landed a big four consulting job at EY. And usually when you think of EY, you don't really think of real estate. So can you talk a little bit more about that and explain the path? Yeah. Yeah. Um, good question. So I, I think I mentioned again, it was all interconnected, all U of I tied. Um, I want to compete in the case competition with Nick Bartholomew and, and Nez Andrade, uh, my junior year, it was with Cornet global. Um, and so this is Philadelphia. We, we flew out. It was, it was great. I think we, we beat two other teams from India and three other teams, India and Netherlands, et cetera. But, um, it gave me that exposure and I met some people, um, that were at EY at the time helped lead this global summit. And, um, they, they ended up coming down uh, to speak at the university, the partner at, at EY that led, uh, real estate consulting advisory services, uh, corporate finance and a practice. And, um, he came down to speak and he was trying to recruit me. Um, this would have been, I think this would have been my last, my senior year. And, um, mentioning internships and I was like, yeah, um, consider it. And then I met him, I ended up having, again, just, I drove up to Chicago over winter break and had coffee with him, checked out the office. And he noted that Cornet had sent out, um, a flyer knowing that we, that we won the case competition. He's like, dude, like I was, I was, I knew we were going to meet each other this week, but you're literally in my mail, like just again, like getting involved and, in real estate somehow. And, um, so I stayed in touch with him. Um, I was kind of, to be fully honest, I was very much kind of on a development path and wanted to go down that, that route. Um, I had the offer from UI 
a kind of more verbal offer from EY um, my last my last year during MBA, um, and I wasn't quite sure about it, um, but I was looking how I could build a lot of financial um, modeling skills as well as um, touching assets globally and multiple assets. So um, I ended up joining, I was looking at their infrastructure team, um, but ended up joining uh, the, the more corporate real estate team. Um, and then uh, I guess a few months in the hospitality team as well. And um, it was an amazing way to just build exposure to a lot of different projects. Um, I, I, I think my first project, I traveled back and forth uh, to Denver uh, every week and was helping build out a headquarters. Uh, I worked on the state of Illinois Thompson Center project. Um, so at one point was analyzing every owned and leased asset for the state of Illinois across the portfolio um, and presenting that to um, the, the governor of, of, uh, uh, of the state. Um, and state of Tennessee, similar. Um, so modeling out assets and their value um, and what their disposition value could be, which I enjoyed a lot, uh, as well as working with Fortune 500 companies. I think I worked with 23 different offices around the world. Um, so we would look at a Fortune 500 company and they would grow through M&A. They would often buy this company. They'd have assets in, um, let's say, Europe. And this other company had assets in another region, but they kind of blended over. So we'd analyze all their, let's say, their leased assets and say, are these over or under market value? And so we would have to find data in all those different markets and convert everything from um, whatever currency. And if it was a lot of times in square meters and square feet, um, roll it all up and then package it and present it to CFOs in the U.S. Um, and we would go to their headquarters. Uh, in this case, it was in Chicago. Um, and present that. So it was a really great way to, to do a lot of modeling. Um, and yeah, just get, get, get familiar with um, real estate finance. Now you, you took a pretty big leap and accepted a job at uh, Ani, Ani Group in Seattle. What, what, what came in with the decision to move all the way across the country? Yeah, good, good question. Um, so as I, as I kind of noted, um, whenever I was looking to get uh, finishing up grad school, I very much saw myself, uh, the kind of pivoted uh, degree programs was going to be doing a three-year degree and ended up building out kind of my own master's program for the one degree, the MS. Um, I was taking construction classes, et cetera. Uh, cost construction classes to kind of bid out projects. Um, I my I could tell like kind of your internal gut was uh, I was saying like development is where I want to be um, more investor side and um, throughout the time at EY I, I could see that um, I enjoyed um, EY has it's probably I think it's rated the number one best company to work for um, best big, big 10 company, um, as far as kind of finance and, and modeling out. So amazing exposure, amazing resources. Um, but I still kind of had that, that push to, to get into development. And, and in the meantime, uh, the pandemic hit. So I was working remote for quite, quite some time and, um, still kind of, uh, looking for ways to get into development and, um, the position, opened up with Ani uh, here in Seattle and uh, I transitioned, which would have been uh, January of this year. Um, and not the, not the easiest job market at the time, pretty difficult. Uh, I think it opened up quite a bit after, um, but I, I was looking at what, what, what is it about development that I like? What type of development? Um, is it retail? Is it office? Is it, uh, industrials and multifamily, et cetera. And um, where, right? Is it, is it dense urban uh, cores? Is it, um, is it in uh, suburban markets? Um, not to mention hospitality, like, you know, a little bit of focus there. And as I mentioned, kind of the traction to, to EY was global, kind of getting to, to see what it's like to develop, not just in Chicago, but 
Uh, my experience with UI was primarily in Chicago, a little bit in New York. Um, what What is it about um, development and, and how to grow a company? A lot of companies looking to expand outside of Chicago. Uh, Ani itself is based in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, and then grew into the U.S. after 2008, and um, have have the largest multifamily projects in uh, in Seattle, uh, in LA. It's probably it's probably acceptable to say the largest in Chicago will be uh, multifamily projects um, and doing really unique things. Um, so, kind of the attraction there was um, it's a, a company that's learning how to grow internationally. Um, I during MBA classes uh, learned. Um, different companies and how their strategy was to grow internationally, thinking of expansion, um, the kind of growing pains of that. Uh, and I looked at what was in the pipeline for Seattle. Um, there's one other person that I work with here. Um, I report to someone in based in Chicago, but uh, it's really just myself, that person and the, the president of the company. So um, I'm working on, um, three 600 foot tall towers and it's uh, about 1,050 units, uh, 260 key hotel and about a million square feet of office as well as retail to base. Um, massive project, um, something in a, a new market. So it's outside of, it's in Bellevue. So it's outside of Seattle, um, which is kind of where Amazon has announced um, they're looking to grow, but announced 25,000 new jobs in the next five years. So, Massive amount of uh, of growth over there, and as well as we have uh, 1,097 units in Seattle uh, coming online here this spring. Uh, we have another 665 unit building with a 300,000 square feet of office at the base, and then another million square feet of office project um, all in Seattle, and then actually another couple projects um, under contract. So massive amount of of um, of projects and exposure to those projects here, um, especially high-rise residential. So, um, and, and getting in touch all the different assets. So hotel, hospitality, we're building out the first hotel, um, all uh, done independent. Um, so Ani's a little bit different as well. Um, the construction is in-house, our own GC. Our property management is in-house. So all of our lease up for both office and, um, and residential is all done ourselves. Uh, and then, um, as we uh, detail out each each portion, a lot of it's done internally. So it gives you exposure from start to finish on projects that you really don't get with other companies. Um, and um, yeah, very very large deals. So that was kind of the push um, and the traction. I would say Seattle has been a growth market for quite a while. Um, it's a lot smaller than, than Chicago, and I do miss that. I miss the kind of the hustle and bustle that you get more in the, the East Coast. Um, it's quite laid back here, um, and but uh, people move a lot slower. Um, but it's really, really good exposure and experience. So that, that was kind of the draw, and um, yeah, getting getting to see like massive amount of deals as well as um, just kind of transforming a city that you don't really get to do in other cities. Can you talk a little bit more about the challenges of development in other markets? Yeah. So as I kind of mentioned, um, I was looking a lot as I was shadowing people in Chicago. Um, I, I got, I, I got the sense that a lot of people are looking to grow outside of Chicago and, um, if, if they're developing, uh, just given the, the market dynamics, et cetera, um, and kind of looking at other markets as, as far as Nashville, Denver, a lot of Florida, uh, Texas, Seattle, um, some of California, um, and uh, maybe some, some of the Carolinas. And I was looking at that and looking at um, how, how, how does one kind of jump in a new market. And I've seen um, as Ani has, has kind of grown into, uh, into Seattle, um, it, there's definitely some struggles. And then just kind of how do you do that? Um, I, it's, I would say um, 
there's a lot of advantages to using local market uh, people across the board. Um, in this case, for development, you think of all your soft costs. So all of your consultants from uh, from structural engineering all the way through um, to even your surveyors, like all local um, versus trying to do it, especially if you're in another country, um, say that you wanted to, to develop in Brazil, uh, trying to use maybe all Chicago companies in Brazil and you don't know the local market, the codes, et cetera, can be really challenging, um, especially if you, you don't typically joint venture with other companies that are established in that market. Um, so that was something that um, has definitely been, um, uh, I would say, a struggle a little bit for, for Ani as we, as we expanded in, in Seattle. Um, but a lot of things you can learn from that as well. So what, what works well, what, what hasn't worked well, um, and, um, and getting, getting that exposure as someone that's uh, versus doing it myself and, and at this stage of my career um, and, and running into those issues, it's kind of nice to, to see it um, not being my dime in this case. Um, but there's, there's a lot of, I guess, approaches that um, maybe can alleviate some of that, that, that uncertainty and risk. Can you dive a little bit more into some of the development projects you've been working on recently? Uh, take us through the process from start to finish and what you do specifically. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll kind of I'll kind of back up as far as uh, development and and note kind of the differences within development as well. Um, so during my internship with Related, I um, a lot of the development was it was a deal team. Um, and so we were often looking at new sites, um, getting exposed to, I mean, in Chicago, as well as other markets in the Midwest in, in that case. So like Milwaukee, um, I don't think we were looking at anything in Nashville, but um, kind of getting high level, what will fit density. Uh, so you're looking at FAR, what's, what's the zoning in that market? Um, what, what can we fit on the site and then kind of doing some studies as far as uh, if there's environmental waste, et cetera, like what is going to be the cost? What, what, what's the total density kind of backing out um, what, uh, what maybe uh, what's the, what's it from the gross of the net square feet and trying to back into what the returns would be for a site and kind of value what the land potentially could be if you want to move forward with the deal. And, um, so as I mentioned, there's a, a project in the West Loop that I helped with a parcel acquisition and that kind of changed that deal. And they're pretty far down the process. They had acquired most of the block and um, this this additional parcel now they had to change a lot of a lot of the design of, of that building um, after they acquired it. Uh, so a lot of that you're trying to do up front. So you might be negotiating with um, owners of very small parcels, you're trying to piece them together, or you might be trying to uh, look at what's, what's my air rights or um, what the views are going to be, et cetera, and then trying to model out um, what's the highest return. So in this case, it could be a hotel. It could be condo building. It could be residential often. If you're going to kind of go more um, more at that kind of scale versus uh, commercial office, um, often with high rides, you're not dealing with retail except for the base. Um, you're, most of the time when you're going up, your office or some form of residential um, hospitality normally sticks more to the base. So that was a lot of exposure to deal side um, and just analysis. And as, as um, they, they typically would stick with the project. So um, once, once it was acquired, um, they would oversee the design construction, um, additional just legal work on, on the project. Um, so that would be kind of like a day-to-day. -day. You're always checking in on meetings, etc. cetera. Um, what I do now is very similar, uh, except for a lot of our projects, we have such a pipeline that we're not necessarily looking at new deals all the time. I would say we're often trying to manage what we have. So with having um, massive blocks, um, my day-to-day -day will be uh, often interacting with, with a lot of different consultants. So you try to break it apart and a performa, you look at your hard and soft cost. Given Ani's internal construction, all of our hard costs um, are 
we have a little bit, I would say a little bit more control over that in the sense that our construction gets involved very early on, whereas other developers might um, really start to make some of those decisions for the, the site um, and then loop in a contractor and then bid it out. Uh, and then you might have to value engineer. We kind of value engineer all the way throughout and kind of see what is, can we change things, make it more cost effective all the way throughout. Um, but again, day to day, uh, I think on our one project, I'm, I'm managing 25 different consultants. So um, I'll have calls with them. I think I had, uh, I've had already three calls today with, with different consultants uh, as far as one was with a traffic engineer. So as we are looking to demo buildings and um, work with our neighbors on uh, agreements for shoring, so all of our, our property, um, we have to keep providing them access to their, their buildings. Um, and so we had to have traffic counts and what's the, what's the volume of the traffic coming to the new building? How do we maintain access to their buildings? So the traffic engineer um, would run, will run studies on that and, and show um, what, um, uh, how, how we can keep those, those buildings uh, and, and work through agreements. And um, I think my, my, one of my other calls was just a, a surveyor. So we were trying to get a new survey on the site uh, to, to then build our civil engineering plan. So a lot of it's managing the process and development. So kind of quarterbacking every part of the, the project um, from start to finish, um, making sure everyone's doing uh, what needs to be done to keep the project moving and then filing for permits uh, as we have enough drawings complete to kind of keep the process moving and get us to um, starting construction, demo and, and construction. So that's, that's a typical, a typical week will be a lot of calls with consultants, um, managing consultants, uh, picking RFPs for, for if we need to have something that we don't already have under con contract with the consultant, um, looking at that, managing uh, the budget, approving, I approve invoices for all the projects, all the consultants, um, and then a lot of market analysis. So as noted, Ani comes into a new market. Um, we're obviously already kind of projected, um, let's say uh, rental, uh, a lot of residential units. Um, but when you're doing that kind of deal side and upfront, you're just kind of looking at what this square foot I have and we're doing average square foot across the, the whole site. Um, in this case, we'll go ahead and take and look at the market, go tour different properties and figure out what they're getting effective rents um, for every unit uh, and our most comparable properties. So walk them, um, a floor plan, we'll take that floor plan, take the, the rent per square foot, average it, and then apply it to each of ours. So if we have a, a studio, what is the market getting? We'll weight it, uh, weight, weighted average on each of the studios and our maybe five most comparable comps. Same with the one beds, two beds, three beds, et cetera. Um, and we often are a lot compressed floor plates, so our, our units are very efficient. And our, our per square foot number kind of gets pumped up a little bit that way too. Um, so analyzing that, kind of looking at our floor plans, how can we adjust them, rolling that up into our rent roll and then updating the performa. And then as we get closer and closer through our, our process with construction, um, we start to, to build in those hard costs. And uh, we have a kind of high level estimate of what it would be on a gross square foot number. Um, but as we get closer, we can actually start detailing that out and saying that's gross square foot number. Let's break that out as the facade, et cetera. And like, what does that cost? And then roll it up into what our cost per square foot for the whole site is. So um, it might be in Chicago. I think a lot of times you can do something for uh, like a nice hotel. Hotels typically more expensive. There's higher finishes, like $300 a square foot. Um, I would say our Bellevue site, we're closer to $500 a square foot. It's just more expensive land, um, higher rents, et cetera. Um, so it's still, you're looking at returns, but you're also looking at um, all the metrics that go into it. So often just kind of managing that and Again, if you take out all those soft cost items, like line by line, uh, as you're looking at development, um, I think the development cost used to do this. You'd have a line item for each each one after soft cost, like all the different items. And now take that and just break out each of their contracts and I'm managing all those contracts to make the development um, get to the point where we can actually build out the hard costs. So that's, um, that's a lot of it. Um, 
day to day. There's not no day is typical. So I think tomorrow I'm going to go walk some of the site. We will um, we uh, we often will check in on a couple of projects that are in construction and um, see how it's progressing. Um, but other days will be in the office, will be on site, etc., moving around. So it's not. Um, uh, working with legal, I'm often in calls with land use attorneys, um, and yeah, just across the board. So, so that's that's a typical week or day um, as in my role uh, as development. So, what kind of asset class do you see going up, not just in the Seattle market, but in the United States as a whole? Uh, what asset class is going up? What uh, asset classes aren't going up as fast? Do you want to talk a little more about that? Yeah. yeah so um, I think it depends on the market. Um, so for, I'll kind of zoom in to Seattle and I'll back out, but um, Seattle, I think what's driving a lot of the demand for residential has been office, right? Jobs and um, Amazon here has more office space in Seattle than the next 50 companies combined, which uh, if you look at that, it's a little bit frightening, right? If Amazon was to leave, Seattle would, would be like a boom or bust city. Um, Microsoft is always obviously pretty present, but the city, the downtown for Seattle, it's, it's quite significant. And um, the job growth and, and infrastructure here is not nearly at uh, the same level as it is in more established markets like Chicago, New York, et cetera, or East Coast cities. Um, so traffic can get really bad. If you think of LA traffic, like, very similar, just you're very backed up um, because there's not really infrastructure to, to take public transportation nearly to the extent that it is in, in those other markets. So um, people want to live as in other markets, very close to the office because your commute could be hour, like an hour or more easily. Um, so a lot of the office demand is uh, for Seattle is driving um the residential demand, and then from that, you just have more people, you're starting to drive a lot of the retail demand. Um, so I I think whenever you look at markets and just overall economy um, and job growth, that's a, that's a key factor. Um, just in general for the U.S., that's, I think, uh, the traction to um, Ani is in Vancouver, which a lot of the, the what what's developed there is condos. Um, so there's a lot of international buyers. The market's very hot for, for condos. People want to park their investment uh, off-seas, a lot of Asian investment. And um, so that's kind of what, what's been built. Ani hasn't built a condo building in the U.S. yet. Um, everything's been rental or office retail. Um, in Seattle, uh, it's probably our largest office market. So um, we have, yeah, as I noted, uh, about... 2.3 million square feet of office that's in the pipeline here. And um, that's largely because of, of Amazon, the amount of office demand, um, as well as other tech companies. Um, so that's helping. And um, often that, that office space can act as like a heart for the, the rest of the surrounding, increase the, the value of the other properties. Um, so, so that's, I would say for, for Seattle, that's been pushing a lot of because of the job growth, the, the market, the tech job growth, it's been pushing a lot of people to move in. Uh, housing prices, like housing prices have, have risen. I think they've went, um, some of my colleagues have, have been buying houses here and um, say it's a million dollar house and everyone, they maybe get like 40 offers for the house within a couple of days and it'll be, uh, it'll get, end up selling for about 250 over market, what, what they've asked. So, that's very typical here because there's not the supply and there's so much demand. So you're often looking at uh, economics, like what, how does that, how does that weigh out? Um, whereas, and uh, I would say in Chicago, we build a lot of residential um, as well, um, less office so far, um, but I think it's been very targeted submarkets. So overall Chicago might not be like a, a key market for a lot of people, a lot of investors, um, we have a pretty successful project in Old Town Park, Old Town, it's called Old Town Park. Um, and I would say a lot of our investment has been very location driven um, for those residential units. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of uh, demand in, in specific areas. So um, 
I would say in general, um, throughout the U.S., there's a shortage of multifamily. Um, so that's always, Ani's a very much multifamily developer. Um, but then depending on the market, office um, might make sense. Uh, sometimes you just want to diversify the, the portfolio a little bit. That's similar here. We had we bought two blocks and we planned, I think, 2,500 uh, multifamily units. And we ended up taking one of the blocks and converting it to office just to diversify it a bit. Um, so it, it's really market driven. Um, and again, it doesn't mean that in, in Chicago, same thing. If, if you can build office, you're often, uh, if, you get a, if you can get a tenant, um, you, you likely, then by all means, uh, build office. I, I don't think people in Chicago are building too many spec office buildings in Seattle. Um, and then when I say spec, it means um, you're, you decided, you know, this office is going to make sense. I'm going to go ahead and build a million square feet and assume that there's going to be demand just because of the market. Chicago, there's probably less people doing that because it's a little bit less um, less uh, certainty if, if that will work, right? You could just have an empty office building and never lease up. Seattle, people are doing that. There's a couple of people who have already done that, and then they lease it up after the fact. So it's kind of like industrial. Industrial has been pretty hot. So I'd say multifamily industrial has been pretty hot across the, the U.S., um, I know some developers that will build spec industrial just because they know the demand is there, that they can get away with it. And um, again, that's partially lenders too, right? So developers, if, if the market's hot enough, a lender might be willing to, um, to lend on a spec office building or a spec industrial building uh, without a tenant. Um, they might not in a market that's not super hot for that that type of asset. So, so I would say, again, it just varies. So you see that in Miami, a lot more condos, um, a lot more condos in uh, San Diego, um, but in a lot of the kind of job sector, uh, younger employees that are not maybe yet buying a house, you see a lot more multifamily. Um, and speckled in retail, I think, uh, is often looked at as an amenity for the building. Um, so if, if it's the base of the building, um, you try to get creative with that space. It might generate some revenue, but honestly, it's a lot more to how does it uh, help the, the tenants above. Um, it's a coffee shop that might make them want to lease there. So it kind of looks more to that than it is anything um, and, and kind of more mixed-use urban uh, development. Well, the last question I like to end the podcast with is if there was one piece of advice you can tell your 18 year old self, what would it be? Yeah. Um, so, so I think as I've noted, uh, uh, a lot of, um, when I was going throughout college and kind of looking at that path, um, very focused, uh, maybe, uh, maybe too much, um, but just very, I'm, I'm a very, um, rigid or not rigid, but just very planned out person. Um, and, um, I think there's something to be said for, um, for enjoying the process. So, um, I know for myself, I have kind of a goal in mind of where I want to get to, um, always looking at, uh, who do you want to, I guess, when you're 80, when you look back on your career, your life, um, what do you want to say you accomplish or what do you want to maybe what, what, what do you want to not regret in that, that case? Um, so I look at that a lot and always am kind of pushing myself to um, make those steps to, to get there. And um, I think you can see that throughout my, uh, uh, my, pro my progression into to where I'm at, um, but enjoying the steps. I think that's very important. Um, and uh, additionally, um, a, a big thing, so, so in, in one way, uh, live each day as a, uh, as a gift, um, and, and don't take it for granted, make the most of it. Um, and as you're a student looking to get into to whatever field, um, I think one thing that helped me more than anything was just exploring it and, um, getting involved and, and trying to jump into something new that maybe I wasn't quite sure about. Uh, it led me into a lot of other opportunities, even if it wasn't the right, planned out path that you're, you're still um, kind of following your interest. Um, and third is um, 
once you once you get uh, I mean ideally when you're 18 try to find a mentor um, everything I talked about throughout my kind of my career path um, even now I've always had mentors to bounce things off of and, and get their feedback their thoughts um, whenever I get back to Chicago I, I have coffee with tons of mentors um, I should say tons but a lot of mentors that have been really influential in my career um, at very much so um, in the sense that you're, you're most like the people you surround yourself with. And um, those mentors to me uh, very much are the people that, that I aspire to be. Um, so highly recommend finding people that uh, you look up to and uh, you can kind of see yourself in, in their shoes in maybe 10, 15, whatever years, depending on how old the mentor is. Um, but uh, that, that I think has been very influential in, in my, my career path so far. Well, Logan, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, what is the best way for people to reach you? Um, give me, you can send me a text. Uh, ideally, just email. Um, share my email um, with, mm-hmm. with everyone. Um, but yeah, shoot me an email and uh, we'll jump on a call uh, anytime. LinkedIn Especially as well? I'm, I'm happy to. Yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah, connect with me there. Just mention... Uh, Always send a note. Like uh, there was something instilled during uh, during MBA. Um, if you connect with someone, especially if you don't know them, send a note. Just note I listened to the podcast or something um, that'll go a long way with anyone you reach out to. So definitely do that, and then happy to jump on a call too. Cool. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it.